this thing happens, my wife and I will go on vacation, we'll get back and we'll compare photos that we took. And she'll be like, you just took pictures of trash the whole time we were on vacation. You're listening to Our Shared Field, where we bring artists into conversation with people from outside of the arts. I'm your host, Austin Camille, and this is the second part of the conversation we began on our last episode. Each conversation will be released over the course of three weeks as separate segments. Two individual interviews followed by a group conversation. Stay tuned to hear how our guests find and create connections. Last time, I spoke with Terrell Hagler, a sanitation worker and activist from North Philadelphia, also known as Yafave Trashman on Instagram. On this episode, I'll be speaking to Amzie Emmons, a Philadelphia-based printmaker and teacher whose work often deals with the discarded objects found on the streets of this city. I sit down with Amzie to learn more about his art practice and process, the walks he likes to take, and how he interprets the role of being an artist within a community. My name is Amzie Emmons. I'm an artist uh, who has a background primarily in printmaking and drawing, and I'm a teacher. I teach primarily printmaking and visual studies at um, the Tyler School of Art and Architecture at Temple University, and I'm the program head of printmaking there um, for the last couple of years. Printmakers work in a shared cooperative space, um, and, and that's always been part of what's appealed to me, which is another way of saying it's a kind of community, and I'm interested in the way that we gather and support each other. Um, it seems like that's a kind of fundamental building block in, in being a, a good citizen and, um, and living in the kind of world I want to live in. Amzi's work, in all of the forms that it takes, is often funny or absurd, even as it points out the rather dystopian chaos of living in a consumer and capital-driven world. He uses colors found in dollar stores, and images of trash found on the sidewalk as he takes walks through Philadelphia. He can describe a pile of traffic cones wrapped in caution tape, half buried in the sidewalk, a common sight in this city, with humor and criticality. Above all, Amzi is able to use his printmaking practice to draw connections between the coffee cup in your hands to many different systems and places and materials around the world. So what is printmaking? It's a kind of umbrella term that refers to a range of technologies that trace back to Paleolithic man using stencils on cave walls. It shows up again and again across multiple cultures around the world as, as something that has real value in disseminating ideas. The way most people know what a print is, is that um, they press print on their computer and, and a document spits out of a machine. I mean, we're spending most of our time on the internet now and people talk about how print is dead, but a lot of the ways the internet functions is it's still using the same kind of metaphors and visual structures that we developed as a, as a species, as a culture in, in printing. So the New York Times website sort of looks like a printed newspaper page. That's how we understand that it is a place we go to for news. You know, Facebook and Instagram use essentially the same book structure that Egyptian scrolls might have used. We're just kind of reusing these printed forms in new and faster ways. And all the conversation around fake news is really predicated on the fact that someone can set up a website that looks like a newspaper or looks like a news source. And that's because they adhere to uh, the kind of aesthetic norms that we expect from printed publications. 
if you went to a website and it looked like someone had scanned crayon drawings, you wouldn't think it was credible. But because it has this kind of uniform authority of a printed document mm-hmm. online, uh, we believe it's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's both a history and what I think is interesting about printmaking as a field, as a discipline and a medium. I've been thinking about your ongoing body of work, a walking catalog, where you're focusing on and cataloging both the objects that have been discarded by consumers and the spaces that these objects find themselves in. How did this preoccupation start? There's often objects, discarded water bottles, or different kinds of evidence of sort of material culture, things you might buy in a dollar store or that you might have in your home uh, that are sometimes out of context in the locations that they're depicted. For me, that content, that uh, the, the things that I depict in my artwork, it starts with a very kind of personal kernel of truth or of a question that I'm you know, trying to answer. And for me, this has always been one around where do people find home and community and mm-hmm. what, what sort of things um, inform that? Probably for reasons that are entirely personal, like that, that focus for me is often revolved around uh, the, the things that we build, the spaces that we build to, to hold each other in. Mm. Now, I've been living in Philly um, for probably, you know, just under 20 years at this point. You know, I really love this city. And one of the things I love about it is just uh, being able to walk around. It's a very walkable city. It's relatively flat. The blocks aren't super long. There's always kind of interesting things to see. And so walking the city is an important part of my practice. And I often carry a camera or a notebook with me and I just sort of document the things that capture my attention as I'm going. Uh, a lot of times those things are are primarily architectural, you know, looking at the difference between, you know, public park and a parking lot or the kind of weird things people make in South Philly to save their parking spots in the winter when it snows and just a lot of the kind of particular local vernacular structures and habits um, and the way community Um, in all of its forms, you know, sort of thrives in this city, even though many of, um, many of the systems suffer because we're not a wealthy city. My role is, I think as an artist is primarily just to notice them and, and kind of reframe them and put them in a, in context with the things that I'm interested in and and present them back to an audience. Um, And so I end up with these, um, these landscapes that may be familiar particularly if you've spent time in Philadelphia, they may be very familiar to you in some ways, but they are presented in a way that makes them strange or allows you to see them maybe more freshly than you, than you might if you're walking down the street on rushing to work. And I think I, I spoke earlier a little bit about um, how printed material, um, because of the way we use it culturally, has a kind of authoritative voice. It removes the hand of the artist um, and puts it at kind of a distance, the technology stands between the things that I draw and the audience experience of it. And that distance combined with how that medium is used culturally gives the work a kind of, um, or at least I hope or aspire to give the work a kind of distant authority that we might give to a document or an artifact. It looks maybe more um, truthful um, and less illustrative. You touched on a lot of things in there that I'm curious to talk more about. I realized as I was looking at your work that I was starting to think of these objects and artifacts almost as characters. And it was interesting for me to think about that and then wonder a little bit more about the site or the place that they're from. I'm curious to hear more about Philadelphia or site or context or urban or city 
how important is the specifics of the backdrop to the, these characters? Hmm. That's a, um, a great observation. I mean, I, I do think about the objects, um, whether it's a pile of rubble or a discarded cell phone. I do think about those objects as definitely being characters. Um, mm. So they are in many ways a response to thinking about the local, um, a, a community, a neighborhood, um, the way you may walk through a neighborhood uh, where people are on their stoops talking to each other or children are out on the street, sidewalk chalking, um, or even like uh, a kind of North Philly, you know, dirt bike crew cruising around, um, the way that is so specific to a particular location um, and really in many ways defines the fabric of a neighborhood. But the objects that we consume, um, that we purchase, that we carry, that we discard, uh, connect that local space and that local community to a global supply chain. You know, if I stop on the way here and buy a cup of coffee, you know, the cup is made who knows where, but it requires a paper mill in the specific Northwest to produce the paper to make the cup. And the lid is made out of plastic, which is from plants that were compressed, you know, a hundred thousand years ago and turned into oil and dug up. And like somewhere in Louisiana, the plastic is spun out and sent to a factory. And mm. um, all of that is required, not to mention, um, you know, someone in Central America or Africa to pick the coffee beans that then get roasted, that then get shipped on a shipping container to, you know, a South Philly roastery that then, you know, it's like, I can exist entirely in a local space, but I cannot exist without participating in these kind of global supply chains. And I am interested in how communities can thrive um, and survive and find space for reclamation or pushing back against, or, or just really finding a way to be in those poles. And so I'm interested in the way we are connected to each other across the planet through the things that we consume and use. It is difficult to kind of thread that needle um, without what I'm producing feeling very uh, kind of dystopic. In some ways, we're all kind of living in the, in the ruins of capitalism, but, I, but I'm interested in, in the hope and community that manages to thrive in those spaces and push back against those spaces. So I feel like the space saver that someone builds in South Philly is like a delightful monument to, to the local. And I'm sort of here to call attention to it and put it into a fine art context and, and record it in that kind of archive. Yeah. Is by pointing out how this object relates to this object on the other side of the world, are you hoping to create a sense of empathy between the two, or is it more a matter of just saying this is related to this, like there is connection? I don't know if you can hear the hip hop. I can. Starting <laughs> up. Um, yeah. <laughs> this will be the kind of soulful portion of this interview. Um, I love it. So my interest is really in, in discovering those connections. Like I don't make this work from a position of cosmopolitan sophistication. Like my, mm -hmm. I've had years and years of academic training in like how to make pictures. Right. So sure. I'm, I'm not a economist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm trying to figure out what it, I think about these things because I, I'm not interested in, you know, living in a cabin in the woods, um, finding my own mushrooms. You know, I'm, I am, I'm deeply committed to the kind of, um, 
lively cultural life that happens in a city. And sometimes the work from my point of view only presents questions. Like I, I can bring these different ideas into a constellation and then I can put them onto the page as a kind of collage. As the saying goes, a picture might be worth a thousand words, but reading six books on the subject will probably teach you more about it than looking at one of my <laughs> one of my drawings or prints um, because the information's not didactic. I don't, um, I'm not really telling anybody anything. I'm just noticing things and pointing them out. Um, and I think in some ways that's the smallest increment of what I can do as an artist. One of the things I was wondering is if you had a favorite spot in the city to walk through or if there were certain walks that, that you find to be really exciting or interesting. I mean, there's really no shortage. And the things that I find interesting are not going to be interesting to everyone. Sure. Um, it, like we have this, this thing happens, uh, my wife and I will go on vacation and we'll get back and we'll compare photos that we took. And she'll be like, you just took pictures of trash the whole time we were on <laughs> vacation, um, you know, at the beach or somewhere beautiful. And the truth is, as you can see from my work, the things that, that I find interesting are often not traditionally beautiful. A walk that I enjoy is it's possible to go from river to river on just not exactly alleys, but the kind of small streets that run mm through Philly that seem almost too small for cars. And I think you often see interesting things um, when you do that. I'm also interested in, you know, the, like there's a number of parking lots that I like to go to because the parking lot attendants have slowly been super custom modifying the little uh, rooms that they sit in over uh, time uh -huh. uh, that I just like watching them change and grow. You know, there's one in Chinatown, I think it's on like Arch that, you know, it has like a, a dental chair sitting out front of it for some reason, you know, mm. and, and I'm just like, where did that come from? And <laughs> how did that come to be associated with this parking lot attendant house? Um, uh -huh. I've recently produced a little publication. It's kind of like a zine um, uh, that's called uh, Playing the Grid. It's meant to sort of take, um, take walking around and sort of make it into uh, a game about noticing infrastructures and local architecture and just things that are kind of peculiar to this place. Mm, it, it makes me wonder if people think of these things that they're creating as inventions, you know? I definitely do. I mean, I feel mm. like, you know, in some fundamental way, like humans just don't have that many new ideas. Um, but we're, mm. what we're really good at is sort of adding on to existing things. Yes, like yeah. our brains are often um, working around like, what are small ways that I can kind of improve my daily situation? And and um, part of what I love about watching and kind of tracking the way, you know, uh, subsequent generations of like parking lot attendants might be improving uh, their space is that it, they're often a really kind of genius design on zero budget with mm. almost no tools. And it just feels like great examples of just raw ingenuity and raw creativity solving problems to make a space that should be like totally anonymous and in many ways they're not pleasant spaces you know mm. for the person parking their car let alone the person who has to spend all day there but but over time like they develop a kind of patina through use and and modification to meet the needs of the people working there in some ways it's possible because um because the systems and infrastructures and um and support systems in philly are so beleaguered and underfunded that people have to make do on their own um, in many ways, it would be better if we just had more state support. But in failing that, 
I find it inspiring that people find ways to improve, um, and to make do and to, and to make things better for themselves with what's available. Mm, There's this like instinct to make the impersonal feel personal and intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Customization, yeah. I think. And, yeah. and yeah, I think you're, you said it exactly right. Intimate and personal and mm. safe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it belongs, like you have some agency to make this your own. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Did the last year, well, I guess coming up on a year now, how did that change how you make work or think about making work or want to make work? My, my practice as an artist um, was really completely changed over the COVID-19 pandemic and, and subsequent quarantines and lockdowns and quasi lockdowns. And I mean, and, and the overlay of, of the, just the political discourse, um, it, it became almost impossible to make anything for months. Um, you know, mm. I just found um, I didn't have the extra capacity to be creative. Um, in some ways, even when it was what I needed most was to find ways of losing myself in making. Um, so I went through a couple months where I, I, um, I really stepped out of my practice. Um, the way in which I was walking around the city really shrunk to like a single block, you know, mm-hmm. um, for at least a month or two in the spring. Um, and I really tried to focus in on just noticing, like if I, if I don't have the energy or my mind is too anxious to let go enough to, to make something in the studio or I can't get into my studio, um, then I'll just focus on this, this idea of, of noticing. And so I just really tried to spend time walking around, um, a sort of one or two block circle around my apartment building, paying attention to things that I maybe hadn't noticed before. Um, Mm. uh, and that was, that was sort of useful, um, and, and a way to keep it going. And then on the other side of that, as things began to get easier, as we began to get used to the anxiety as, as the political pressure, you know, post-election is finally lifted to some extent. Um, uh, I've definitely made some changes. Like, I feel like I've taken a real hard break from paying any attention to the news for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I've backed out of a few, um, you know, professional obligations around exhibitions and things because they seem like the world has changed enough where they are no longer seem quite as relevant, um, uh, for me to be putting my work into that space, uh, or the work that I made a year ago no longer seems to speak to the, the world that we're in. Um, and maybe it needs to sit for a while. This is not the first time I've ran into a really hard kind of, um, creative block. Uh, it's happened, I don't know, give or take about every decade or so. Um, mm-hmm. and in most, most of the time that happens, I've, I've really leaned into finding, a a procedure or a chance uh, operation that kind of gets my mind and ego out of the way so I can just start doing a thing again. Um, and then over time, that'll sort of tell me how how it should change or grow. I feel like that's a really smart way of just keeping moving. That fear of stasis is almost the worst, <laughs> the worst part of those blocks. Yes. So it's like if, if you're able to at least keep moving, then there's potential for it to grow into something else. Totally. Uh, in these situations, I always flash back to being like 10 at like swimming lessons, you know, and you're just like circling the pool and the instructor's like, just get in the water, 
like just get in the water <laughs> and you're on the outside of the pool thinking like, I will die if I get in the water. But like, <laughs> you know, once you jump in, like you, you didn't die, uh, you figured it out. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the anxiety around starting something around doing something is often so much worse than actually doing with it or dealing with it. Um, mm. You know, there's the voices in your head that tell you you can't do something or why you're not good at something. And I come up with strategies to, you know, occupy them while I sneak in and do the thing I want to do. This must be now. There is no time. When walking down Join us next week on Our Shared Field to listen to Amzie and Terrell's shared conversation and hear about the project that they're working on together. Our shared field doesn't end at the recorded audio. There will be pieces of art and projects and more conversations that result from this single meeting. You can learn more about the guests and follow these after effects on our website, chat.squarespace.com. Music for this episode is by Ezra Muse, a Philadelphia folk artist. The song featured on this episode is called When We Take a Walk. You can check out more of his work on our website. Again, that's chat.squarespace.com. Thank you to the Center for Humanities at Temple University for hosting this podcast and to Eric Carbonara at Nada Sound Studios for audio editing. Our Shared Field is recorded in North Philadelphia on the ancestral lands of the Lenny Lenape people, whose presence and resilience in Pennsylvania continues to this day. Until next time, I'm Austin Camille. Thank you for listening to Our Shared Field. Life.